0: Hello and welcome back to the Breathing Deeply Yoga Therapy and Meditation podcast with Brant Pasilakwa, founder of the Breathing Deeply Yoga Therapy and Meditation School. In this podcast, we answer our students' questions and share information about yoga therapy and meditation with the intention of creating a new paradigm in wellness. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's dive into the show. Today's episode is a recording taken directly from a live Q&A session with Breathing Deeply founder Brant Pasalakwa and students of our Yoga Therapy Foundations program. Our first question is, how do I assess imbalances in the Pitta Dosha? So
1: you you have your constitution, which is kind of like what you're born with, and then you have imbalances. And in the course, we're dealing with imbalances and saying, hey, this person is exhibiting these sort of personality traits. And the question is whether they're an imbalance or it's just who they are. It acknowledges both things, uh, which is super helpful. A imbalance in the doshas is when, um, like, even when you read pulses, which is not part of, part of the foundation, of mm-hmm. course, what you do is first read the, the the constitution, the baseline of the person, and then you see how their current situation is different from that. So it works the same way when you're assessing someone where you, um, you know, you see the person and let's say they're super type A, but the question is, is that an evidence of an imbalance or is that just kind of like how they are, right? Like, And that's always the question, do I have a problem or am I just seeing somebody's, yes. you am know, I just looking at somebody? Okay. So the question is that we all have to answer is, how do, we're not Ayurvedic doctors, right? We're not prescribing medicine. Like all we have to figure out, which makes our job a little easier in some ways, is do I think that balancing this person's having this person balance their pitta will have an effect on the con on the condition that they're complaining about? Right? but they have a lot of anxiety. And so, and with anxiety, you're always asking this question: is the pitta driving the vata imbalance? Is the pitta is the fire? sort of moving everything around so much that this person can't uh, find balance or are they just Vata imbalanced, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. so more importantly with all this is, hey, you know, am I gonna have them do a Vata balancing practice like movement and breath or does something else need to happen? So I would flip this question back to you, which is mm-hmm. part of the practices you're giving this person for vata balancing working as a practitioner, right? Like you've settled on your course of action. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wouldn't change it. You don't change things that are working, right? Until you see them through. Yeah. So, and th- you know what the hardest thing is with everything? Probably in life, I guess. <laughs> but, you, know, you know, what the hardest thing is is that is that it takes time, right? Yeah. Like you've done yoga, like you get better at it. Okay. So you might have to, it might be really boring. He might have to do moving and breathing and alternate nostril breath for six months. Mm-hmm. And you slowly mm-hmm. see him getting better and better over that time, you know? Okay. And the, the reason you would flip to pitta balancing is because you're not seeing your strategy working um, or your client says, my body's full of inflammation and I know there's something else okay. going yeah, on sure. here, you know what I mean?
0: What do I do if my client's mental health issues aren't fixed within a month of practice?
1: You really have to kind of pan back a little bit and say, okay, what has this person really done? They've done a little bit of yoga every day for one month and that result, I don't even know the details of this, but I'm going to guess this and let's see if I'm right, is probably better than the meds he's on. So you've already got them a better solution. Mm. It's amazing. It's totally amazing. That's what I'm pointing out Like, it's amazing that result. Somebody who's having two to three days, it's the same. Let me put it in a different context for you. You get somebody with migraine headaches and they have them four days a week and you give them a practice and they come back and they have them two days a week. You just, they just, but like, you know, working with you just got them a hundred days a year back, you know, two yoga therapy sessions. thirty. Like I see this stuff all the time, you know? And of course them and you were both like, no migraines is better. And it's not that you shouldn't go towards that, but your timing, your job as a yoga therapist is to like really emphasize when someone does something for themselves, which is all we're doing, that works, you have to like really be in there and you can't be second guessing yourself. Like you have to be like, look, what you just did was spend 30 minutes a day moving and breathing. And this was your result. They see that they have agency over their own condition.
0: Do you have any recommendations for someone who's having a panic attack? Um,
1: yeah, I mean, I, I do. It's not our superpower. So that's not like what we're for. Like we're not for emergent stuff. So I just want to remind us of that. That's um, We're more like skill building over time. However, there's two ways people ground through anxiety, depending on what's going on from them in general. So one is introceptive experiences, and one is the opposite of that, basically taking in things through their senses. So usually, not always, but usually when someone's in a big anxiety event, introceptive experience doesn't work so well. So that's why when you say just take some breaths and all that, like, unless someone has a lot of skills with that, usually that's not, I mean, if you've ever been completely freaking out, just generally, right, it doesn't work someone starts being like, just breathe, you know, you're like, I can't breathe. I'm freaking out. So, um, so another approach would be something sensory and that could be touch or that could be not your touch, but like them touching something, feeling their feet on the ground, hearing sounds in the room, looking at something and taking it in any sensory input that um, gives the, the awareness really, um, shows the awareness where it is in space and time because you know what's happening when you're having a panic attack right you're outside of that like you're no now you're no longer taking in present centered things right you're in your own internal feedback loop so you know um even like a fidget toy you know, like you think about kids and stuff, or a squishy ball. You know, something where it 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 takes your mind right, and it it asks it to pay attention to something else. Um, so those are the like the I mean, that's just like some general suggestions for people. Um, what happens with yoga therapy is that you get better over time at bringing yourself into the present. I mean, what that's what happens with yoga, right, in general. So. The more you skill build with your client, like this person's only been doing yoga a month, say, right? So, they've already seen a reduction in their panic attack because he's already got that skill, like better than he did. Like he can get himself back into his environment and his, you know, internal and external reality matching in a day instead of two to three days. And you could just imagine that shrinking over time. But again, not our, the skill is our superpower, not like I mean, the Xanax is for, is because you can't do it, right? That's what Xanax for. You, you can't do it. And the Xanax is gonna like shut some stuff down. And then hopefully over time you get better, right? You don't, need, you don't need the Xanax because you can feel your feet on the ground. And I will add just this one thing that we have, you have to remember when you're working with mental health, um, you know, people's brains are different and so you know the way i mean there's there's neuroscience around this but you know in just a sort of colloquial way there's you know the way people's brains um respond their uptake of glutamine all sorts of things in their minds as we discover more about the brain you know people are really different so some people will have a harder time doing this and it will require a larger dose of yoga therapy. That's how you wanna look at it. It's gonna take more work for certain people, right? To get there. So you can't compare your own, I'm sharing this just to remind us, we can't compare our own experience because we have a different brain and history and all that, but even our biology is different than the person in front of us, right? So, And it's easy to forget a little bit if you've been doing yoga for 20, 30 years, if you're deep, if you're far into your practice, right? It's very hard to remember what it's like. I cannot really, I can can remember in a storytelling way, but I cannot remember the person I was when I was 25, you know, and my inability to feel my feet on the ground for days at a time, you know, because I've lived through years of anxiety disorder but like i cannot remember it now in like a real felt sense you know
0: how do i know when to change the practices i've given a client
1: but pacing is a big topic i think it's a really good question i just want to say like that's the whole thing it's like do i change or do i do that i mean this is this is what we're always thinking about and it feels really weird to have someone come back to you and be like keep doing that same thing Right. Like you feel like a little bit like you're not like giving them their money's worth, you know, like they're like they came to see you and you're like, yeah, keep doing that thing. Um, I do it all the time. And um, after you do it a lot, you realize that people really appreciate it, actually. Like I'm doing the right thing. Like I should keep doing this. I'm I'm. I'm winning, (laughs) you're like, yes, you're winning, you know, let's keep you winning and we'll change it when we need to. So your sort of expertise in determining that is why they're coming. It's not so much that, it's not a yoga class, right? You don't have to like wow them with this new cool technique, you know? But it is our job to remind them and show them how amazing it is. If you get a result like that, that's I don't know what he's like, maybe you could tell us, Sophie, but like I have clients often that are like, yeah, it's yeah, it's not really working. You know, I was getting like four migraines a week and I, I got two this month. I don't know, yoga therapy, it's not working. I'm like, really? Cause that seems like you got 14 less migraines than you did last month. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's what you just told me. They're like, yeah, I was kind of open for zero, you know? It was like so you have to you have to help them tell the story that's accurate.
0: <laughs> what would be your recommendations for helping someone with neuromas? These are painful, benign, small tumors between the toes.
1: So here's like my general thoughts on neuroma for what it's for, for what it's worth. Like you have like two levels at which you could work. So the first level is where you should always start. And that level is like the physical level just like straight up muscles and gait. So, you know, the the issue with anything that involves pain and um, sort of disability, you know, in that way, is that you actually don't know, you could guess but sometimes we're wrong. Um, You don't know how much is being contributed by say uh, the weakening of the muscles, like the atrophy that's happening, the gait shifting, the non-movement in general. So not about me at all, I'm just gonna give this example just for us to wrap our minds around. My body feels awesome all the time, unless I'm 51, I'm in good shape, I have nothing wrong with me. If I don't exercise for three days, I'm a mess like, I have back pain, I have shoulder pain, like, it's kind of crazy, you know, how bad I feel. And it's like, a, it's it's an interesting thing, though, right? Because there's nothing wrong with me. um, But that's how fast, you know, things can change. So just imagine, just for everybody, imagine that you've not been able to walk, you're not moving your feet and like the ways you would normally move them, you're not moving the toes in the way you move. So in addition to the neuroma pain, which is probably most of it, but then you have all this other stuff that could happen. So that's where I'd start. I'd do all the motions of her feet and toes. I would re-strengthen her feet. I would like then like work your way up her body. Um, once she can, if she can stand or once she's like sort of walking or you can see her walk, I, I think about her gait and the musculature that, um, It's online, so it's a little tricky, but you can ever move around a little bit. And I would kind of do it like a physical condition and see what could happen there. Um, and then the second part is, can any of the other koshas affect your healing outcomes? Like, that's the question. So, you know, your pranic body stuff, you could try a pranodidras for a while, see if that changes either her pain or her outcome. We know that meditating regularly changes people's pain response. You know, as you know, I have a lot of faith in brainwave state change and the healing powers of yoga nidra. So I would be totally confident at least offering that and saying, here's why you might try this. Because like your neuroma's healed, right? Like, I mean, they do, they can go either way. So- you know, what are you going to do? So we know, just to remind everyone, if you or if you haven't heard this, that when you do yoga nidra and you do it really consistently, you change brainwave states to of meditation too, and you get more healing brainwave states in your daytime hours. So those would be the levels I, I would be working on. And, I, you know, I would tell her everything. I'd be like, these are the possibilities. Are you willing to put some time in? And like you said, it's starting a chair, moving her feet, get her do feet exercises every day, then kind of work on her hips and legs and core muscles and make sure that her gait is reasonable. People start striking, as you know, because you have this, you are walking and you're striking in really not perfect or useful ways on your feet. Imagine, you know, trying to avoid your neuromas and your pain. So then you're causing problems, right? By not using your feet correctly. So that often requires flexing and extending and spreading toes and um, even the PT kind of stuff, like picking up a towel with your foot, all those things to like keep your muscles like working because you're not using them the way you're supposed to anymore.
0: In this last segment, Brent has a discussion on the science on nutrition and disease, as well as oils in our food and our health.
1: Um, Prevention and disease are different um and that's the thing to remember when you're looking at research they're not the same so it could be true for instance that like a pescatarian diet with olive oil might be a perfectly reasonable heart disease prevention diet for instance I'm not saying I believe this even though that is pretty much how I eat um (laughs) but um you know versus someone who has like like I know a lot of Ornish's work is, for instance, has been with people with late stage heart disease. Um, and he's been really interested in like zero, zero fats, basically. like what do we do if we if we pull all the fat out of someone's diet and it does reverse heart disease? But that doesn't always mean that fat is a precursor to heart disease, just in case you haven't thought about this ever. Cause that would be a really easy conclusion to draw. And actually Ornish kind of does it in his books, which is the only thing that annoys me about him. He sort of like puts out there that everyone should eat in a certain way based on his research with sick people and sick people and healthy people are different. That doctor, cause I just like his videos. I think they're really easy to digest. So if you haven't gone to that website, I highly recommend it. Highly Nutritionfacts.org. click any condition and you'll get like a literally a two minute, video of and they're really entertaining about whatever the dietary implications are for the thing you're looking at um but what but what you realize from watching those there is evidence say there's pretty solid evidence that a lot of animal protein is like super bad for humans you know um in terms of disease outcomes and stuff like that and you know if you have any if you're looking at stroke or cancer or, or heart disease, that clearly you would want, not wanna be on standard American diet. And in some of his videos, which I encourage everyone to watch, I mean, he has a pretty good argument for like how like the Mediterranean diet is not really the best either, even though that's what's pushed. So it's it's a nice thing to take in because he does a really good job explaining why the recommendations that we hear are given to the public versus what the actual study said. Um, so in like blood pressure studies, right, I quote this a lot just cause I think it's important. Um, in blood pressure studies, like the people who did the studies that recommended the Mediterranean diet knew that that was not the best diet. And they made a public health choice basically based on what will people do not what is the best thing. And as a yoga therapist, you really want to be thinking is what's the best thing for this individual? Um, And they're very different perspectives when you're talking to somebody and sharing information about diet. So the one thing I hate, actually, you just said it, and this is not a criticism of you. This is like a personal pet peeve of mine. I don't believe people should eat what feels good. I don't think that is a good determiner of what, is gonna keep you healthy for any given disease. You can eat what feels good and it's good in a blood sugar way, but you can't feel whether a diet's gonna give you cancer or not, right? You can't feel that. So there's a kind of yoga teacher thing and just basically alternative health practitioner thing since the day I started that I've been hearing, um, which is just eat what, you know, like listen to yourself, but it's a kind of a combination, right? Of listening to yourself and what you will actually do and what we know from science. There's like three sort of parts of it. Um, And I will conclude my pedestal moment with this. Everyone who studies this stuff knows that there are genetic differences between people. So there's some really interesting stuff that Nancy's bringing up in the heart disease realm that's actually outside that. It's like so obvious that large amounts of saturated fat are bad for your uh, arteries. <laughs> like if you really look at the research, it doesn't matter what your genetics are that much. And that's what's interesting when they when they really parse out the studies. So there are certain things that matter for everyone because, when you compare diets, let's say, with some animals in them versus without animals and how many heart attacks people have, et cetera, what you start to see, you don't wanna go down this rabbit hole, here's the summary, is that none of the people that are long-lived and are not having as many strokes and heart attacks are eating high saturated fat diets, except like some wacky weird stuff that doesn't really matter, Inuits and, you know, people that only live on whale blubber, but they're probably not that relevant to like most of us. you know. <laughs> so, um, and you start to see like, that there's actually like, there is actually science. And it's, I think it's interesting I think as a yoga therapist, just to kind of bring it back. It's all in context of your whole diet. So what Nancy was bringing up is heart disease. And we know that the oils are not good if you already have heart disease. But I mean, you, you, when you're looking at nutrition, but it's like anything else, you have to have a broad perspective. Like we also know that people that like use like high quality olive oil in their cooking have higher testosterone levels, higher testosterone levels, which could be good or bad, depending on what you're trying to do. So it's like, if you have heart disease, you don't care about that, you know? <laughs> but like, I mean, there's just a million examples like that, you know? And, you know, some of the longest lived people in the world use olive oil. So clearly it's not like a killer, like in a magnifying glass like that, you know? It's just our diet, when I say our, I mean like the Western diet, you know? Like nobody thinks fried food's good for you, right? Like we all know that. Like nobody eats french fries and goes like, this is a health food. Like this food (laughs) is the key. you know, to a long, healthy life. Like we all know. And then we make our choices. And again, probably just so we don't get like spun out, eating French fries and never eating meat is different than eating French fries and pairing that with a charred burger, right? (laughs) Cooked in oil. Like, I mean, there's a lot of different things going on there. And you have to look at all of it all of it in the context of what's being pushed out, which is what makes it really hard to study. So like if you, t- if you put anybody on like a raw diet, lots of people's health will improve. Is it because it's raw? I don't think so based on what I've read, but I think it's because they, they're eating a ton of vegetables, right? And we know that tons like uh, Dr. Wall's work, which we we look at in the advanced program for MS, Dr. Wall's a doctor who's been studying MS. She had MS and we re- basically reversed her MS and Is doing all these clinical studies. Her diet is just tons of vegetables and specific qualities and meat. It's paleo and that seems to work for that condition. But again, it's like organic meats and like, I can't remember, you know, five cups of mushrooms and onions a day and like a pile of greens this big. And so it's hard to know what's doing what, you know and again, no oils really. So you have to contextualize it. Um, so I wouldn't just look at oil and be like oil bad. You know, I don't think that's that's as productive as you would want for yourself even. You know, unless you're like looking, you know, my whole family has died from cardiovascular diseases, you know, at a young age. Like this is the kind of thing we look at. This is, you know, and the chance of me having heart disease before I'm 50 is like kind of like 95% based on what I've seen in my family. Then I would be, I would be deep in that research, you know, as a preventative. Or if your family has like a really high cancer uh, incidence. You know, I probably wouldn't eat hardly any animal protein. That's the way I would, because we know, and I definitely wouldn't drink.
0: Thank you so much for making it to the end of this episode. Please subscribe, rate, and review our show and help us share yoga therapy with more people around the world. If you think this episode will help someone you know, feel free to share it with them. If you love yoga therapy and meditation, you can follow us over on Instagram at breathing deeply yoga, where we share anything and everything to help you advance your understanding of yoga therapy and meditation. For more information about our yoga therapy and meditation trainings and programs, visit breathingdeeply.com. See you in the next episode.